Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 18 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we went into a highly recommended Japanese horror film, Blind. One Cut of the Dead from 2017. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we did not make to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we went into this drink blind as well. This was given to us by a friend of the podcast, Jack. So thank you, Jack. Yeah, we, uh, we risked our lives to get this drink because we had to meet each other in person. Whoa! The most horrible thing in 2020. <laughs> it's literally been all of 2020 that just hanging out with people is the true horror. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So uh, this is a Rosemary Gimlet that uh, Jack dropped off. I had to give him a video game that I had that didn't belong to me. In exchange, he gave uh, he gave us some cocktails. Ah. And this is one of them. How kind. And I have not sipped this yet. I have sipped it and I can say it's delicious. I'm about to sip it. Oh. So much like this movie, I'm about to be spoiled. <laughs> I wish it was stronger. Like, I want the ratio to be different. Oh, that's so good. But it is delicious. Oh, my God. That's so good. <laughs> we used, because um, it's like a pre-mixed drink of Rosemary Gimlet, and then we just had to add gin to it. So we used the Mad Lab Distilling Gin. Oh, I forgot what wow, other Kelly people's- Kelly is in love. I forgot what other people's cocktails taste like. <laughs> What are you trying to say? Uh, I don't make good cocktails. We're amateurs. (laughs) And this came from a professional establishment. I think there might be like a psychological element of knowing that this is from a bar. So I'm like, with the flavor also comes the memory of sitting at a bar table with my friends and drinking and getting cocktails. Yeah. And that's what I miss. And I'm about to cry now. So we should go on to the next segment of our podcast. I do like it, but do you not think it's not it's not strong enough? It's cocktaily enough. Like the rosemary is extremely prominent. Mm. You said that it was a bit too sugary for you, but yeah. I, th- I think too sweet. too sweet. Yeah. Which is weird because that's your jam. And that's what I mean, though. It's not that the flavor profile is off. It's just that it was like two ounces of the mix and two ounces of gin. Just I need more gin. That's fair. I mean, we still have a bit left, right? No. Oh, I mean, you could throw more gin into the existing mix if you want. I mean, there's already two ounces in this. I don't need to get flat out wasted. I think it's good. I like it. It is a sweeter drink, but I think I like that. Yeah, it's good. Because we've been doing a lot more like bitter drinks and stuff recently that I think it's nice to have just a sweet rosemary drink. I can definitely say that you need to watch out if you drink this. Not you, Kelly. You, the general you, because you, yeah, you cannot tell how much alcohol no. is in this. It's half and half. This is basically a rosemary lemonade and it's yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> so this week we watched One Cut of the Dead from 2017. It premiered November 4th, 2017. It was written and directed by Shinichiro Ueda and it was based on the play by Ryo Chiwara, starring Yuzuki Akiyama as leading lady Chinatsu. Takayuki Hamatsu as fast, cheap, but average director Higayashi, Harumi Shuhama as director's wife turned actress now, and Kazuaki Nagaya as lead man co. That was excellent. Uh, I made Kelly do that part because he has a little bit of experience with Japanese and I have none. 
It is one of those things where like literally pronouncing the letters in a word is different in Japanese than in English. So I still struggled with it. It's been a while since I've had to read Japanese names that way. But thank you very much. Of course, my love. Wink. So we actually went into this movie completely blind as from uh, suggestions from a lot of people. So I would recommend we don't normally do this, but before listening to the rest of this episode, I would highly recommend going and watching the movie. It's not super scary. So if like a lot of you listen to our podcast, but don't actually like horror movies, I would highly recommend watching this movie first. It's more like an action comedy than it really is a horror. Yes. And we can't say much more without spoiling the movie. So go watch it. It's well worth it to not be spoiled. Yes. And if you are uh, not doing that, we warned you. Suck it, losers. (laughs) (laughs) The synopsis is going to ruin it. But here we go. The synopsis this week was submitted by a patron and frequent Discord visitor, Sharky Crunk. AKA David. Thank you so much, Sharky, for submitting this amazing synopsis, which I will read now. A zombified young man, Ko, approaches his axe-wielding partner, Chinatsu, biting into her neck. Director Higarashi yells cut to give some overly harsh notes to the leading lady and reveal this as a film performance. During a break in a strangely stilted conversation, makeup artist now mentions rituals to raise the dead. And sure enough, the crew are soon set upon by their zombified colleagues. Director Higarashi has no intention of stopping filming, choosing to put the crew in danger for good shots. One by one, the crew die or lose their minds. And after several failed escapes, Chinatsu is chased by Nao, who is then killed by Ko. And after a brief nude zombie surprise, Chinatsu rejoins Ko, finding he has turned into a zombie. The beginning scene is recreated, this time resulting in her killing Ko and director Higurashi as well. We end with Chinatsu standing within the bloody pentagram drawn by the director, the catalyst that started the whole event. As Chinatsu stares down the camera, director Higurashi yells cut and we transition to one month earlier. We have indeed been watching a film about a zombie film interrupted by zombies. We soon learn about director Higurashi, whose motto is fast, cheap, but average, and the opportunity he receives to create a one-cut zombie film that will air live. The pre-production is chaotic and mired with problems, logistical issues, dropouts, and the unfortunate alcoholism of veteran actor Hosoda. Interspersed with this are glimpses into Higarashi's home life with now, actually his wife, and their film-obsessed daughter, Mao. Filming begins and we see the first act again from the perspective of the production side. The strange conversation between now Ko, and Shinatsu is explained by zombie actor Hosoda passing out drunk and showing up late to his cue. The unusual exit of Yamago is explained by his bout of diarrhea and is improvised around expertly by the cast. I disagree with the expertly, but I'll keep going. (laughs) This throws off the script completely, but is resolved by Mao, who creates the Yamago zombie scene on the fly. Problem after problem is overcome with creative improvisation, particularly from Mao, culminating in the creation of the final aerial shot without using a crane. Instead, a human pyramid made of all the cast and crew. In the final moment, Mao reveals her inspiration. A photo of herself atop her father's shoulders as a child, smiling and holding a camera. Hit me with that trailer audio. Ah! 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 
か Amazing trailer. It was so good. And it even did exactly what we said of you shouldn't watch this trailer. Yeah. Spoiler alert. It, but then it didn't spoil it. It spoiled it a little bit more so than we thought that it would be, if that makes sense. It doesn't, but that's fine. But it was such a good, well cut trailer. And I loved it. And it was so wholesome and nice. And the music that's featured in it is so great. Yeah. It's I, so like happy and like exactly the comedic tone of the movie. Yeah. I think it doesn't really come across in the synopsis, but like this movie is like a wholesome, fun, like family drama movie above being a zombie movie. Like yeah. it, when it cuts after the after the initial 30 minutes. Yeah. It's like an upbeat, like cheer. Like we've been watching Community and it kind of was reminiscent of like Community's musical stylings and stuff like that. Yeah. And the trailer does a really good job of like setting that tone for you if you don't want to watch a zombie movie, I guess. Mm hmm. Which is funny because it brings me to my first point. Ooh, your first point, you say. Whoa. Whoa. Watching this movie, my immediate reaction was. Oh, no, <laughs> because it was highly recommended to us by so many people, our friends, people on our discord uh, listeners. So watching the first 30 minutes, I was really disappointed because it felt like low budget fake and not in like a good low budget movie way. Yeah. Which would have been fine, but it was because it was so hyped. I was like, oh, man, I'm so sad. I'm disappointed that I don't like this movie. And then after the first 30 minutes were over, I was mind blown <laughs> and everything changed. Um, and then like, and that's not to say that the first 30 minutes are bad because watching the movie in its entirety make the first 30 minutes so good. Yeah. And I can't talk about a movie that has or think of a movie that does this so well. It's kind of like heist movies, how they're like, this is how we did it. Yeah, I think I mentioned that while we were watching it, that it has a strong like Ocean's Eleven vibe because you you get to a point in the movie where like, oh, everything's gone poorly or something. But then it it cuts back. And George Clooney is like, let me explain what we were actually doing, mm -hmm. which I, how do you advertise a movie like this? And get people to watch it without spoiling it. I guess by doing a trailer that's like spoiler alert coming up. But like even if you watch that first beginning of the trailer where it looks like a normal zombie movie, then start watching it and it looks like a shitty B horror zombie movie, you would probably stop watching it, wouldn't you? I'm not sure. Honestly, I don't know what I would have done if we weren't watching it for the podcast, if I would have stopped it or yeah. not. Because you've been watching a lot of just random horror movies on Shudder recently. And sometimes I do stop. Like I watched Siren. That movie was shit. It yeah. was great. There was deaf representation, which was awesome. Or mute representation, sorry. But the film itself, I really hated it. Yeah. I feel like you probably would have turned this off if you were watching it just yourself. Like if, yeah. if Shudder was like, you might like One Cut of the Dead and you started watching it, you'd be like, nah. Without knowing anything of anyone telling me to watch it, yes. Like it so often I find that when somebody tells you that there's a twist to a show, it often ruins it. Mm -hmm. But this feels like a movie that needs to be told that there's a twist to it. Otherwise, so many people probably won't stick around for the first half hour. Yeah. Unless they are just like 
enthralled by campy zombie movies and think that that's what it's going to be. Because it went so far, like while we were watching it, the makeup that they use of like the fake blood on the shirts and stuff, it did that thing of like looking kind of like watered down paint in a way on the like initial opening scene of the actors. And I felt that was continuous throughout the like real zombies that were supposedly attacking them. And I was, I turned to you and I was like, I feel like this is all a movie. Yeah. And like, that was, we kind of did that a lot. We were like, cause it's all done in first person. And sometimes people talk to you. And I was like, are we really here? Like, sometimes it seems like we're not part of the scene, but sometimes we are like, is it a found footage movie? Yeah. And then, yeah, like the, the gore and stuff of the quote unquote real zombie attack doesn't look realistic. And it was like, is the director tricking the actress into thinking that it's a real zombie attack so yeah. he can get the real emotion out of her? And that's what I thought it was. And then maybe the twist was like, she goes, it goes too far and she doesn't, she kills everybody because she thinks that they're really zombies. Mm-hmm. But then it was so much more than that. And so good. And so good. And it turns into like such a completely different movie than we thought it was going to be. It was so good. Oh, man. I guess it's our fault for not trusting the recommendation of our friends. Sorry, friends. Because <laughs> <laughs> like this is the top. Like everyone fucking loves this movie that's seen it. Yeah. And we started watching and we're like, oh, man, our friends punked us. I was so like I was genuinely shocked. I was like, why did they recommend this? Oh, my God. I mean, our friends like some bad stuff. So maybe it was just (laughs) a bad campy horror movie. But it was people that know horror that also said it. Yeah. That was funny. But yeah, totally great. It's also funny because like at the end of the day, it's not really a horror movie. Like. There's some gore. There's like chopping off of heads. But it's like explained in such a way that kind of like degrades the actual horror of it. It's like the setup is a horror movie. But at the end of the day, it's like a like we said, it was like a family drama slash wholesome movie. Yeah. Which kind of brings me to my next point about how like I've never personally worked on a one take film or like no cuts, anything like that, except for like plays. Yeah, I was going to (laughs) say. Give yourself some credit. You do the original one cut performance. (laughs) Nobody's doing takes during a play. And if they are, it's probably a part of the bit. Yeah, but it's different because there are so many more moving parts. Like the film shows it so well, how much behind the scenes things are happening and how intricate that has to be behind the camera and like people moving in and out of position and stuff, which was really awesome. And I think that I mean, I can only imagine how crazy a project like that would be. And I thought that they did a really good job of portraying that. Mm -hmm. So the level of authenticity and storytelling throughout the whole film was really, really cool. And I've never experienced a film like this, but now I want more. Yeah, but it's hard now because we've been spoiled on the concept. How do you make one cut of the dead two without? I would so see that. I would go in now having that first experience, knowing that they're going to do something else, but make it like an alien movie or something. Or it cuts back as they're doing the one take. And it turns out that even while they were filming the one take horror movie, they then were attacked by zombies. (laughs) But the people watching it didn't realize that the joke had been taken one step further Mm -hmm. and people were actually dying on the set. And then it turns into like wreck. Oh, another good film. But yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like plays seem harder. I feel like you're undercutting how much like I guess I've done it so much. Yeah, I guess it's like because you assume that with film, a lot of people don't rehearse as much as they do for 
uh, for plays. Which is normally right. Yeah. That is true. Like we've heard stories about actors showing up, not knowing their lines and getting the script on the day. I've seen that so many times too. Not even like just being in background work of like mid scene actors are like line. Like, yeah. And I'm like, what are you doing? And you could not do but that in normal. a play. And that's normal though yeah. in film. I don't know. I feel like a play would, I, I feel like a play has to deal with this a lot. They're just more prepared because it didn't seem like everybody was as prepared as they should have been on the actual production of one take of the dead. <laughs> one cut of the dead. One cut of the dead. And yet that's what made the film so great. Yeah. That it was funny because everyone had to fumble around and solve the problems. Yeah. While being behind a camera and not let anybody see the problems happening. And knowing that it was like not even just, oh, our take got fucked up and we're going to have to redo the whole thing, but that it was in front of live TV. Yeah. It was cool. I think that's like the best part of the movie is that we watched like our low expectations after that first half hour made the later part of that movie so much fucking better because we were like sitting there we're like oh that's why they were so stilted oh that's why there was so much of a pause oh that was real vomit oh my god this is like we were (laughs) killing ourselves laughing it's like every little reveal and it was handled so well and it put us in such a good mood oh yeah i had a great night last night i mean we always do but uh this was special yeah we ended up watching cabin in the woods after that just to feed in that that like (laughs) comedy horror it was great yeah the last point that I want to make is that I wanted to take some time to highlight the daughter, Mao. She's uh, an aspiring filmmaker and she works really, really hard. We can see like as they do the backstory of the dad and stuff. She has this huge crush on the lead actor that's in the film. But she herself is trying to start a career as a filmmaker and she's not being taken seriously on set and stuff. And that was so cool because I know that the film world is so cutthroat. For everybody. But then you add on like for women and it's like quadruple times as hard. Yeah. And you really have to fight for what you believe in, in yourself and in your art. And she does that so much in this film. And it was amazing to see she got to come to the set of her dad's project with her celebrity crush as the lead actor. And then she gets to jump in when everything's going wrong and save the day. And it was really cute to see how she found like her, that photo of her on top of her dad. Oh yeah. As an inspiration. He like looks at that to inspire himself in his work. And that really touched her. And it just reminded me of me and my dad. And I really love my dad. And like, I have a picture. I used to sit (laughs) on my dad's shoulders all the time and like play with his hair and that connection between the two of them really reminded me of me and my dad. Yeah. Yeah. So it was extra nice and warm and fuzzy. This actually feeds extremely well into my point, which I'm sure we can combine into two <laughs> conversations or Great. one conversation about these two points is that I really love how relatable they made the dad. Like not only did they choose an actor that kind of just looks like normal dude, especially compared to the hot up and coming star of the oh, show. Yeah, they did a really good job of making him go from like what he calls himself, like the average director to like this aspiring horror movie director. And he worked so hard. You see so much like I shit on the first 30 minutes, but I couldn't do that. (laughs) Yeah, especially live with one cut. Yeah. And like all the things that he's dealing with. And like he did such a good job of just like portraying, like dealing with these things as they came along and being kind of like that that dad figure of like underestimated and kind of just like taken advantage of. Yeah. Um. That like when they both came together and they like I almost teared up at the end when they made that human pyramid and they had to sit there for like 20 seconds (laughs) holding each other up 
to yeah. film that final scene. Like that was such a good culmination of both of their characters where like he's literally lifting her up and she is the star of filming this scene. Yeah. And they both they both have grown together as characters. Meanwhile, her mom is taking it way too seriously and just drop kicking people to the side. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> I would never want to work with you. Now <laughs> no. I know why they said that you had to stop acting because you're not good at it. This is unprofessional. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was good. I really like their relationship was so wholesome and and relatable in this situation that is entirely unrelatable. <laughs> yeah, for sure. With a, a similar character, the uh, assistant camera director. Oh, yeah. I didn't talk about that at all. Do you, yeah. want, do you have that? as Because she also points? had like a similar situation to the daughter where she had a she had a concept of how this whole thing should be filmed kind of like campy and and be horror for the nostalgic effect. Mm -hmm. But her like grumpy back pained camera director didn't want to do that. And he wanted to just shoot it straight. And then he falls down halfway through production. And she's the one that has to pick it up and finish the film and finish it and like does a great job. And even when we were watching the first 30 minutes, there is a clear cut in Tonal style. Shift, yeah. yeah. And we were like, is that intentional? Like what's going on? And again, I was like, what the hell? But then it made sense. Yeah. And we didn't really talk too much about it. The fact that at the very end of the movie, during the real movie's credits, they do like a behind the behind the scenes where it's the real crew making the first 30 minutes of the movie. And it's like the guy's like sitting there on the ground during the scene where the camera director fell down and he's just getting handed water because he's has to, he has to like run around doing this all by himself. It was so good. The movie's was, so good. Yeah. And it's really one cut which I guess could be a scaredy fact, but I just, it has to be said now that they really did it. And that's like so cool. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. We want to start out by saying that if you want to help the Black Lives Matter movement, but aren't sure what you can do, here's something you can do. Go to blacklivesmatter.com slash petitions and add your name to the petitions listed there. It takes two minutes out of your day to amplify these black voices and to help shit get done. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you by Mad Lab Distilling, who provided us with the gin used in today's cocktail. Scott's amazing. He has a whole line of drinks, or sorry, a whole line of different spirits and cocktails now that you can buy ready-made, bitters, the list goes on and on, constantly we, innovating, constantly adding things. We love him. We keep talking about how we want those bitters and we're not bitter at all that we don't. <laughs> <laughs> also, a big thanks to friend of the podcast, Jack, who provided us with the cocktail mix used for this rosemary gimlet. All the information you could ever want about us is on our website, drinkingandscreaming.com. If you want to help support the show and get some awesome rewards like stickers, coasters, bonus episodes, and more, go to patreon.com slash drinkandscream. That's also where you can vote on our Patreon polls to tell us what we should watch next. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream, on Facebook at drinkandscream. You can email us at drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. And you can check out our Discord at bit.ly slash hopped up discord to join the conversation and talk right to us. Whoa. Right to our faces. Well, through our phones. Our typing faces. <laughs> we have a special promotion today from a brand new podcast hosted by some amazing ladies. Here is the promo from Harpy Hour Podcast. Check it out. Hey, everyone. You're invited to Harpy, Harpy Hour. Hour. 
I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. We are the Harpies. And Harpy Hour is our new podcast featuring ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Were you ever suspicious that pigeons were secretly spying on you? How do you know who to eat first if you survive a shipwreck? Do problematic musicals send you into an uncontrollable rage? If so, then Harpy Hour might be your new favorite podcast. That's H-A-R-P-Y for Harpy, and new episodes air every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on all social media at Harpy Hour Pod. And check us out on harpyhourpodcast.com. Okay, bye! You're perfectly uh, leading into my next point. I swear, I'm not doing this on purpose. I mean, you're doing, we're doing a very good job. <laughs> it's almost like we're doing this in one take, but I've definitely Whoa. edited this episode. Um, I've spent, I spent so much time in that first 30 minutes looking for cuts because I've become like extremely cynical when it becomes, when it comes to like single cut scenes. Because mm-hmm. there's, have you seen Birdman? No. I feel like I've asked this before. I, have I also not. haven't seen Birdman. But its whole appeal is that it's one cut, quote unquote. But it's not. Yeah. But there's so many times where they cut behind pillars or like somebody walks in front of the camera for a second like that. Mm-hmm. So I've become ex- extremely cynical of anything that says that they've done it in one cut because I'm like, y- y- you didn't. You made it look like you did, but th- that's fine. So I was like, anytime that somebody did like a fast pan or like walked past somebody in front of the camera, I was like, they probably did a cut there. But it's amazing that they didn't. Yep. But they didn't. I mean, it's only 30 minutes and like the entire thing was intentionally made to look like it was stilted. So potentially there were people like holding up signs and saying what the next line is going to be. But it's still impressive at the end of the day. I think that it takes it. They had to be so well prepared to make it look like that. Yeah. It's one of those things where it like. Making something intentionally look bad without it actually being bad is such an art form. Yeah. Like those shitty MS Paint memes. It's like there is there's a little bit of a an art to making something look like you intentionally meant to be bad <laughs> without actually being bad. And I think that, yeah, like you said, that comes across in this movie, even mm. if we didn't give it the benefit of the doubt for the first 30 minutes. And we were like, and oh, I feel God. guilty about it. I'm like, oh, man, let's not talk about that. But like, it's, <laughs> it's almost like the, like you're meant to like, there's no way that they thought you would get through that being like, yeah, that was a intentionally bad campy movie i guess wasn't even campy in a good way no and <laughs> there were so many scenes of people just like stopping and looking off in the distance and we're like what the fuck is going on yeah oh the wind what a oh that was great <laughs> i can't even make it sound how bad it was <laughs> like if you've made it to this point in this episode still thinking that you shouldn't watch this movie like i would still recommend watching it even though we've spoiled it because like the way that they explain every awkward part of the initial 30 minutes is just so good it's so fucking good yep 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 i guess i did make a point of this this is my final point which was that i liked the end of this movie was the making of the making of the one cut movie that was intentionally supposed to be a movie within a movie it's It's very convoluted but yeah there were so many layers it was so fucking meta but done well agreed even to the point where there was um there was a scene in the initial 30 minutes where the camera trips a little bit and then gets back up and starts moving. And then when they showed that the production, part, when they showed that part being filmed in story, mm-hmm. the woman holding the camera fell over. But then when they showed the behind the scenes of making the initial 30 minutes, 
the camera guy also fell over. And that was like for real. Yeah. And we were like, so wait, did they film the first 30 minutes? And at that point, the guy accidentally fell over. So they added a story about the girl falling over in the real one. It's, it was. Uh, yeah. Like, I don't have. I was one that did the scaredy facts for this. I don't have for sure confirmation about that moment. But I feel like what we're assuming happened is right. Okay. Because there was even a point when we see her just fucking eat it. Like, and that had to have, it had to have been a mistake. It looked so realistic. Because it's not a stunt person. That no. is the real camera person. So. And it was before she picked up the camera. She was like chasing after the camera director. Yeah. And she just ate dirt yeah. so hard. Like it was one of those ones where her face hit the ground and bounced a little bit. And you're and like, you oh. just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> like uh, Bergeron cuts back and he's like, America's funniest home videos get eaten, eaten shit on a zombie apocalypse movie. Oh man. Anyways, I just, I can't, I, I'm like an additional point at the end of my points is that like, I'm at a loss for words at how good this movie was. And I don't know if it's because our expectations were so low going into it. But they were so high and then they got crushed and then they got brought back up again. It was a fucking like, car accident of emotions that happened. I have emotional whiplash from it, how good this movie was. It kind of gives you the feeling of like what we just watched get out and then the whole thing changes at the end and you're like, whoa, but it gave you that feeling in real time as you're watching the movie. And it's really cool. It did it in a way where the whiplash is in, is nice and wholesome. Like get out makes you feel horrible about these white people. One cut of the dead makes you feel like, inspiration about this ragtag team of movie makers yeah and you just like love this dad and his go get him daughter and their weird wife mom and like it just it felt really like i felt so fucking wholesome coming out of this movie yep there's <laughs> no feeling like it it's time for some sorry was i scaredy facts oh sorry i've I was I bad bad production. I'm sorry. We're doing this episode with one cut. Oh, boy. I fucked up. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so for those of you who this is your first episode, every time that we get to this section, it's inspired by our real life. Scaredy facts. We do it on the podcast. We do it in the real relationship that we have. Whenever the, we that watch, real one we have, not the not behind the, the scenes. One. <laughs> every time we watch a horror movie we go on imdb we look up some trivia from different movie sites to make it less scary and you know then i can fall asleep feeling real good i we didn't really have to do that for this movie because it was awesome anyways and not I mean, scary I, but <laughs> i really wanted to look up the facts after this one but i had to let you do it yes also in the notes you wrote my name is Crelly. you're welcome i don't know why this upsets you because I had to, this is the... You had to make mistakes to make this episode real and true to the movie. Do you know why it actually happened? Because you were here while I was writing them. Did I, no? What did, did I say, Crelly? No, this was, Buddy was on my lap the whole time. Oh, Buddy typed so, this. No. Buddy did the scaredy facts but for I this episode. But I had to have my laptop to like the right of me and I had to awkwardly, there were so many typos in so this So Buddy script. did the scaredy facts for this episode. Yes. Starting with the budget. Meow. <laughs> it's an estimated 3 million yen, which is about 38,000 US. Jesus. We could scrounge that money to make a movie. Like that's that's an approachable amount of money, which is I mean in my head it's not. 
but yes. <laughs> I mean, we could like theoretically we'd have to start. yeah get investors and stuff. But, but yeah, like, that's that's what I'm saying is like that feels like an amount of money that you could make a horror movie with. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opening weekend in the U.S. Oh yeah, I should say this. We said that the date was in 2017, which is when it actually came out in Japan. But in the States, it only came out in 2019. You bastards were holding on to this thing for two years and you didn't tell us. I know. So opening weekend of the States, it made $6,000, which is kind of (laughs) sad. But don't worry, because the cumulative worldwide gross is $27.6 million. Do you have any data on whether or not that's like mostly Japan or... If it did end up making a bunch of money in the States. I do not know. That's but funny. it has, as far as we can tell, picked up very a lot of popularity here. It stands to reason that Shudder picked it up? Yes. From Japan? Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So hopefully they made a lot of money on Shudder as well. But yeah. they seemed really... It, that's a huge return for a $38,000 movie. And that, I got the 38000 from doing like Google Translate of numbers. So... That and that's from right now. So really, it was about twenty five thousand at the time, Jesus Christ. and it made over twenty five million. Twenty five thousand to twenty five million—that's crazy. Which is my first fact, even though I already said the budget. I just had to write it down again because whoa, blew my mind. I feel like if we again, this is this is kind of like diminishing the amount of effort that the people who made this movie put into it. But like, I could I could visualize a reality where you and I put together a team came up with a script and pitched it and made $25,000 to make a movie. Yeah. Yeah. Especially now that I work at a film equipment company. But it's too late because this movie has already been made and it was perfect. So we're fucked. Damn it. Next scary fact. The first 37 minutes was actually one shot in one take. It took two days and six takes for the cast and crew to get the perfect one. According to actress Harumi Shuhama, the cast performed the one-take scene perfectly on the second try, but a crew error led to the camera stopping during the take and it became unusable, which sucks. But the whole film was shot in only eight days, which is still really great. Yeah, so you have to still think about the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like the 37 minutes weren't the entire movie. There was still like a bunch of stuff on another film set that he was making and like other actors you had to hire for different scenes and stuff like that. Yeah. And actually shooting like all the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yeah. The Something pic- that was the picture cool. of the picture. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Something that was also cool was that the blood splatter on the camera and like the hand coming in to wipe it away was real and not a post-production effect. Did they intend to do that? Or was it like another perfect take and the blood got on it and they're like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, we got to wipe it off. It'll just be part of it. It'll be fine. No, I think that was meant to be there. Okay. Something that you brought up was that you love that the dad was such an average guy. So most of the cast actually paid money to be in this movie because, get this, it was a final product of an acting and directing workshop. Wait. Yes. Wait. So this was... This was the final project of an acting class? Basically. That, and it's and it's this... Wait, okay. <laughs> it was called the Enbu E-N-B-U Seminar. When we started watching the movie, I saw Enbu, and then I tried to read the katakana, but I couldn't, and it probably just said seminar. So, Kate, you need to help me with this. Was the script already written for the seminar, or was this like a group effort where a bunch of people came together for a class 
And the result of it was this amazing movie. This is as far as the detail that I could get. There weren't that many interviews about this film, so I couldn't do extra digging besides this IMDb fact. So I can assume that it was a script that was already written and that it was used for the seminar. That's what I would assume from workshops that I've done. But I don't there are workshops where you do start with nothing and just make something as as in the like week long period or whatever, because it would be extremely depressing to me. If a bunch of people, including writers and directors, came together for to learn how to make a movie and made this. But also, we can't actually, I can confirm that the script had to have been written before because it's based on a play. That's right. Okay, so they, they made a screenplay. Based on a based play. Based on a play. And then did a seminar on learning how to act and said, okay, once you're done learning how to act in the seminar, we're, we're going to make this movie. We're going to do it for real, yeah. Which is still incredible, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> like the the dad is so good. And they even make a point to say that like they didn't think he was an actor. And then he starts acting and he does a really good job. You're just you just you're just handing me these one twos for my next segue. Are you ready? Yes. The early scene in which the director is like yelling at the actress for being insufficiently terrified. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Wait. It, no. It's a reference to the filming of The Shining. Where Stanley Kubrick famously was a fucking asshole to Shelley Duvall and bullied her to get her to have a better performance. Nice. I like that. So it's like a call out. (laughs) But now I need to know if that was a reference in the play or they wrote that scene for the screenplay of the movie. I don't know. There's so many layers of this thing. (laughs) And I need to know all of them. I'm glad that we're finishing recording this so that I can now just delve into researching this movie at, at length. Yep. Last one. Oh, no. According to an interview, uh, actor Monabu Hosai, who's the zombie in the pink shirt who bites the uh, AD, was actually drunk during film. (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) But that's just a rumor. It was mentioned by an actor in an interview. Who does to say for real? Maybe he was actually (laughs) just a really good actor and they thought he was really drunk. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That makes me think of that play that you did where one of the leads was drunk all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Not naming names or plays, but, you know, it happens. One person, I've been in a show where someone got sent home at intermission before being too wasted. Did they replace them with their like understudy after that? No, it was a ensemble member. So it wasn't like, I mean, it did change a lot. It changed a lot of my track because I interacted with that person a lot and like, moved set pieces with that person and I had to do things on my own, which sucked, but it wasn't like the leading man or whatever. That would have been crazy. I mean, again, you were in a play where one of the leading men got drunk quite frequently during production. Yeah. Eh. Good times. It happens. (laughs) You're professional. You can do whatever you want, apparently. I mean, if you get, I mean, well, if you don't get paid, who fucking cares? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Way to call out what show it was. (laughs) If you know anything about Vancouver theater. All right. I need some final thoughts. My final thought is extremely simple. Unlike the concept of this movie, I legitimately just wanted to watch this movie again. The second we were done. Yep. It was like, I, I don't know if it was just because of the nature of the movie, making you nostalgic for the first 37 minutes, 
But like the moment that we were done and we saw the reveal and we saw the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes of the behind the scenes of the movie, I was like, I need to watch that first 37 minutes again without the like air of, oh, this is going to be garbage. And the air of like, I fucking love this movie and want to watch this again. A hundred percent wholeheartedly agree. Like we immediately after watching this movie, we were on like a high and we were like, how do we ride this high out? And there was nothing like Cabin in the Woods was the closest I could come up with. The trailer said it was the next Shaun of the Dead. But like anything I thought of, I was like, nothing's going to bring the the joy and nostalgia, the immediate nostalgia of the reveal and the character development of this movie. And that's what I mean when I said earlier that I would just watch the sequel of this being just cookie cutter, the same thing, but a different movie. It's now the daughter in the dad position. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I can't wait for Enbu. What was it? Seminar? Yeah. I can't wait for Enbu Seminar's next movie, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) And my final thought is something that we already said, which is it's so inspiring. It just makes me want to make our own production. It's so funny and heartwarming. It was such a great movie. Real roller coaster of emotions. And yeah, I want to do it. I want to do it and watch it again. (laughs) So good. It also reminded me of a bunch of Japanese movies that I want to watch with you because uh, when I took Japanese in high school, we watched like a bunch of Japanese movies and I don't think I really like bring them up that often. But yeah, there's just some there's some real good Japanese movies that we don't watch because reading's hard and I shouldn't have to read and the the movie should just be in English. Am I right? (laughs) Well, that's been one cut of the dead. A movie about 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 a movie. Zombies. Next week, we'll be watching our patron-voted-on classic, The Thing from 1982. If you want to have your say on what we watch next with our Patreon polls, go to patreon.com slash drink and scream. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah. Bye! Now we talk about how... How did that go? Did it go for good for you? Yeah, it was, it was really good, good for yeah. me. Good for you. Yeah, I think we'll, we could probably uh, keep this podcast going. I think we'll be fine. <laughs>